This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I, I had a very difficult time ranking 2022. It's kind of like when people try to rank. I love ranking presidents. I love analyzing best presidents, worst presidents. <laughs> what I always say is you got to leave out like the last 20 years. I know that's not fun for people because they really want to rip recent presidents. And they really want to tell you a recent president's great. I, I'm, I know it's boring, but you can't do it. You just can't like, you have no idea. Harry Truman's the greatest example of it. Harry Truman left office and he was derided. One of the worst presidents. All the polls came out. Terrible president. Worst approval rating. We sit here all these years later. He's considered by many to be a top 10 president. So you see that extreme change. So when, when I'm having fun ranking presidents, I like talking about, you know, Teddy Roosevelt. I like talking about Abe Lincoln. I like ripping James Buchanan, you know, things like that. Uh, 2022 is like trying to rank George W. Bush and Barack Obama. You can't. You may want to. You may really, really want to, but you can't. Well, 2022 is like trying to rank Joe Biden because he's the current president. Like that. That's how crazy you can't do it. But I did anyway. Well, I did. You did? Where'd you put <laughs> I it? did too. I did. Where, where'd you put it? Okay, so it's kind of like where I would put any recent president. <laughs> I wouldn't give my high mark, none of them, but I wouldn't put them at the bottom. Because, like, when people say, and I'll, I'll, I'll pick the last four so that we're politically fair. If someone says Joe Biden's the worst president, Donald Trump's the worst president, Barack Obama's the worst president, George W. Bush is the worst president, they've clearly never heard of James Buchanan or Franklin Pierce. They haven't. <laughs> like, they led to a goddamn civil war, but whatever. So 2022, it's still so fresh that I, I put it, Towards the bottom, but not at the bottom, I put it sixth. I have 061, 2000, number two, 2015, three, 084, 075. You know this because you've been scoring at home. And then I slot in 2022 as sixth on my nine season list. Three. Three. Bro. Three. And I'll tell you why. why. What other 100 plus win team didn't go to the World Series for the Mets? Well, 1988, 2022, that's the list. Right. And now I wasn't around for 88, which is why a lot of people put 88 there. So I, I, I'm not saying I wasn't around, but I don't remember it. This taste is so bitter to me right now. It's it's going to last a long time. And to watch the Padres go down or the Padres beat the Dodgers, and then the Padres lose to the Phillies. It's like, oh, my God. 
You're telling me the Mets couldn't have been competitive with the Dodgers? The Mets couldn't be competitive with the Phillies? I mean, we've seen what happened the regular season. It wasn't a good way to end uh, with the Phillies, too. But this team had so much promise. There were so many pieces to it. And this is my big concern. And this is a bigger picture. But I'm starting to get feels of the 06, the season after. Yeah. The 2015, the season after. We're sitting here. We had last podcast, which you should go back and listen to, was all about Jacob deGrom. Well, the more and more I think about it, the more and more he ain't coming back. That is a problem. This team is not going to be around, which is some ways good. Get rid of Darren Ruff. Get rid of some of these guys who are like, we don't we don't need this excess waste. But then the key pieces, the pieces that that even though DeGrom wasn't around all season long, was a huge factor to getting us to where we wanted to be. Or, or you know, he pitched well in the well, playoffs. He may not be around. Th- that's why. I put this somewhere towards the bottom, but not at the bottom, because a big part of the way I determine pain is over time, not just in the moment. Look, in the moment, I maybe 1999 would be number one for me because I cried like a baby when Kenny Rogers walked Andrew Jones. But I, I try to have perspective on it. I think what happens next is going to play a big role in how we feel about 2022. Very similar to what I mentioned earlier about the Aaron Boone game to Red Sox fans. They went out and won the World Series the next year. So it's tough to, you know, if a Red Sox fan was doing a podcast about most painful losses, I don't know what they would do with game 703. They'd probably say, yeah, it was painful in the moment, but geez, now it's a celebration because of look what happened a year later. So I think how and what happens next will determine, at least in my eyes, and I'm pretty sure with you too, where 2022 goes. But I have it sixth on my list, which leaves us with the bottom three years. Let me go all the way to the bottom because we were just kind of touching on it. And that's 2016. While the game was brutal, I mean, they lost a 0-0 game late, essentially, as Noah Syndergaard is going toe-to-toe with one of the great clutch pitchers of all time in Madison Bumgarner. And you hate to lose a game to a Connor Gillespie home run in the ninth inning. And there were some great moments in that game. Curtis Granderson made an unbelievable game-saving catch uh, in this game, which sort of goes forgotten about. But I think why this ends up being maybe the least painful is something you touched on. They weren't going anywhere. Like, it would have been exciting to have a five-game series with the Chicago Cubs and throw Seth Lugo out and Bartolo Colon out in a best of five. And you never know. Clearly, this year in baseball has shown you, you never know. That 2016 team versus this Philly team, who the hell knows, right? But the reality is, in all likelihood, that Met team wasn't going anywhere. There was no Jacob DeGrom. There was no Matt Harvey at that point. It was literally a rotation of Noah Syndergaard, Bartolo Colon, Seth Lugo, and wait for it, Robert Gazelman. It was an offense that in the wild card game had TJ Rivera batting fifth, had an aging Jose Reyes leading off. Like it just wasn't a very good team. So while the loss was rough, no doubt about that, you know, and that was the negative of Javis Familia. You know, I put him over a lot for what he did in 2015 and how well he pitched, excuse me, in that game five. And obviously the six out save against the Dodgers. That was the worst of Javis Familia. Comes into a tie game in the ninth inning against the bottom part of the Giants order and crops the bed. Uh, I put that last. I put that as the least of the painful losses. And that gets me to seven and eight. Seven and eight features a game that's not forgotten about in Met history, a game I've referred to a few times 
And then a game no one thinks about. In fact, there may be many Met fans saying, I'm confused. I counted all of the last games where the Mets got eliminated on the final game of the year. And I don't know how you get to 11, or in this case, how you get to nine. Well, that's because in 1998, the New York Mets went into game 162, one game out of a wild card spot. They were trailing the Chicago Cubs and they were trailing the San Francisco Giants. They were in the midst of a collapse because the New York Mets went on to lose their final five games of the season. They led in the wild card race by a half a game going into a night game against the lousy Montreal Expos and got shut out 3 nothing. It was the same day Brant Brown of the Chicago Cubs dropped a fly ball in left field and the Cubs blew a seven-run lead. And so I went to Shea Stadium that night thinking, we're going to make the playoffs. Excuse me. The Cubs are choking. I'm choking. The Mets then lost that game, lost five straight, got swept by the Braves, including this final game of 162. Little did we know, the Cubs and Giants would lose that day. So the Mets went into game 162, a game out. If they win, they would need help. And then maybe there would be a three-way tie. They got the help. We didn't know it at the time. And the Mets got their ass kicked in this game. But the Chicago Cubs lost. The San Francisco Giants lost. And the New York Mets would have, if they took advantage of this situation and didn't lose game 162 to the great Greg Maddox, would have been in a three-way tie for the wild card spot. This was a non-competitive, brutal game. Armando Reynoso started for the New York Mets and got knocked out in the second inning. And he gave up five runs in an inning and two-thirds. Thankfully, Hideo Nomo came out of the bullpen and pitched four scoreless innings to at least keep the game relatively close. But the New York Mets would lose this game 7-2. to two. They would close the season with five consecutive losses when all they needed to do was win one to be in a wild card play-in and win two if they wanted to make the playoffs. That weekend is most remembered for when Jay Payton was put in as a pinch runner in the eighth inning of the Friday night game and got thrown out by a mile and a half by Andrew Jones trying to stretch and go first to third on a base hit. The on-deck hitter at the time was Mike Piazza, and Jay Payton was thrown out as the tying run at third base in the eighth inning. It's forgotten about because, eh, 98, look what they went on and did. They had some success in 99. They won the pennant in 2000. But 1998 was a baptism by fire. That was my first pennant race, and it sucked. Any memories of 1998, Hoff? You can be honest with me if you don't. Uh, uh, that was year we got Piazza, so there was definitely memories behind it because I remember, dude, I remember, I don't know if I was there the first game, the first home game, but I was there for one of the first home games that Piazza was there. And just the buzz beyond Piazza was crazy. was crazy. It was phenomenal. So, like, yes, of course I remember that team, but I don't remember the collapse as much. But now you say the Cubs and the, the, the Giants, I do remember vividly di- diving into, like, they are that close. Because – for, there was a couple of years there where the Giants were always on the cusp of making it. There was always another team that was involved, but that specifically, yeah, we, we it was. But the thing that didn't hurt so much about it was we were in a pet, we were in a race for playoffs, but 
me really I didn't know what the playoffs was. Yeah, so oh no, no. Fan, I, I didn't I didn't know. Me too. <laughs> I was like, what the hell is this? Yeah. Yeah, I think it, it at the time it was kind of cool because the Yankees had won the World Series two years earlier. Uh as a Met fan, you know, at that age, I was 15 at the time, there was no success. You know, what the hell was our success? 1997 was sort of a Fugazi pennant race. They were never really in it. They had a good year coming out of nowhere to win 88 games. But before that, they were bad. They were just a bad, bad team. So I guess it was cool having a pennant race. And it was a real introduction to hating the Atlanta Braves. Like that really was, in a lot of ways, the beginning of the rivalry because Chipper Jones had a big weekend. Bobby Cox didn't hold back at all, even though they had already won the division. And I don't blame the Braves for doing that, by the way. The Braves could do whatever they want. You know, they've won the division. If they want to torture a team in their division and keep them out of the playoffs, God bless them. So I don't hold ill will necessarily towards them doing that. But as a fan, it just developed the hatred. And speaking of hatred, the game that I'm surprised I put this as low as I did, but I think I did because they were down 3-0. Like, they weren't going to really be the first team to come back from 3-0 down. And then obviously they did win the pennant the following year. But that would be game six against the Atlanta Braves in Atlanta. It was the day after or two days after Robin Ventura hit the grand slam single, maybe the greatest game I've ever been to. I'd say pound for pound, uh, considering the magnitude of the game, drama of the game, probably the greatest game I've been to as a Met fan, the grand slam single game five against Atlanta, avoiding elimination. But here they are in a game six, trying to become the first team ever to even force a seventh game after being down 3-0. And you're doing it against the Atlanta Braves. And Al Leiter actually was on with Craig and I coincidentally days ago. We were talking about pitchers pitching on three days rest. And I mentioned to Al. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. It jumps out at me that you pitched this game on three days rest. And I love you, Al, but you sucked. You pitched zero innings. They were six base runners. He gave up five runs. It was the worst start of Al's career. And I feel bad saying that because I love Al Leiter. I think he was a great Met. I think he was a clutch Met. But when I think of guys pitching on three days rest, that was Al Leiter on three days rest. And Al revealed something that maybe people knew. I either heard it and forgot it or never heard it. And that was the fact that two days earlier, he was warming up to pitch in the Ventura Grand Slam single game. That he was actually going to replace Octavio Dotel out of the bullpen if the game went on further. If it went to his 16th inning, yeah, 16th inning, because it ended in 15. I'm trying to remember. Uh, Al Leiter would have come in and pitched. So maybe it hurt him a little bit that he was warming up to come into a game two days earlier. Either way, Al Leiter couldn't get anybody out. He hits two of the first three batters. He's given up base hits to the point where Bobby V has to save him. And you know who saved his ass and could have gone down as a legend in Met history? Pat Mahomes. Because Pat came into that game got out of trouble, got a huge double play, and pitched four scoreless innings that day. And he gave the Mets time. Because that's what the Mets needed. 
they needed time down 5 nothing, And they scored three runs in the sixth inning. And all of a sudden, oh boy, we got a baseball game. But not for long. Because Keith Lockhart, that son of a bitch, rips a two-run single. And now all of a sudden, we're down by four runs again in the seventh inning. And we're dead. It's over. Did the best we could. And then the comeback begins against that overrated, horrible announcing, baseball-hating John Smoltz. That side-arming bastard at the time comes in with a four-run lead because Bobby V's, uh, Bobby Cox is like, we got this. Let me go to John Smoltz. And he gives up a double. And then he gives up a double. And then he gives up a hit. And then, in what I still think to this day, is one of the most majestic home runs in Mike Piazza's career. Obviously, for unbaseball-related stuff, for real-world stuff, the post-9-11 home run is number one. But number two, when it comes to baseball, was this one. A two-run game-tying home run after they trailed by four in the seventh and they trailed by five runs in the first inning. They came back and they tied the game. And now I'm thinking, holy God, God, they could freaking win. And they go ahead in the eighth and then they blow it. And they go ahead in the ninth and they blow it. I think it was the eighth that they blew it. They blew it in a bunch of innings. I know that. That I know. They blew it in the eighth and they blew it in the 10th. That's when they blew it. They took a lead in the 10th inning of game six on a sacrifice fly by Todd Pratt. But they all blew it. John Franco blew it. Armando Benitez blew it. And by the time Kenny Rogers came into this game in the 11th inning, we were bound to lose. And obviously, I think what what haunts me about this is he gave up a leadoff double to the late Gerald Williams. And Brett Boone laid down a bunt. So the Braves had the winning run on third with less than two outs. And the batter was Chipper Jones. So naturally, the Mets walked him. And the next batter was Brian Jordan. And naturally, they walked him. Like, I don't have any issue with Bobby Valentine saying, I can't let Chipper Jones beat me. I can't let Brian Jordan beat me. I'm going to go after Andrew Jones. Maybe you go after Jordan. Maybe. And he's tough to double up because of his speed. But the problem is when you walk both of those guys, now there's no margin for error. Now you just have to throw strikes. And Kenny Rogers didn't. And when that game ended, I cried myself to sleep like a baby. But I think a part of that, though, Hoff, is that it was still new to us. That was my first postseason. That was your first postseason. I think for a lot of people listening, it was our first postseason. So it's bad, and it was tough, and everything about that game is still memorable all these years later. But I think perspective is they were down 3-0 in the NLCS. They were down 5 nothing and 7-3. The fact they were even in position to win that game is actually insane. Well, I but I just want to touch on something. I think part of the reason why it was so hurtful Besides the fact that I think Ricky Henderson and was it Bonilla playing cards? Yes. Back, yes. Uh, yeah, yeah, that that sucked. <laughs> that too. But this was the we're very close to getting somewhere. Even though we were down 3-0, we were very close to getting to the promised land, getting to the World Series. And I'm living in a household which and a family, like my mother's side of the family, all Yankee fans. So all I've seen the past few years is 
victories and our team is the best. So and I don't want to make it a Met Yankee thing, but it kind of felt that way because it's just constant remind it was a constant reminder of like, oh, that was really cute that the Mets got the playoffs. Let, let the real boys take over. And that kind of sucked. So it was like that's why when two thousand happened, it was like, okay, here we go. Let's face it off. We finally get to get to, you know, battle it out and that backfired. But like first playoff run and you kind of get like swiped aside, it's embarrassing. It really is. And look, you're right because when we can't get past Atlanta and now they're in the World Series against the Yankees, and that was Bob Costas' famous line when Andrew Jones walked, he screams, bring on the Yankees. Well, they brought it. (laughs) Anytime you ask for a team, usually it goes bad. Whether it's me as a Net fan chanting, and I didn't chant it, but Net fans did, we want Boston or Yankee fans chanting, we want Houston. You know, usually when you demand something and then you get it, it doesn't work out well. So you're right. The Yankees then spank them. They sweep them. That was the one World Series in my lifetime, even to this day, that I did not watch. I could not bring myself to watching that World Series. I think I turned it on for about five seconds. I think it was game one when Paul O'Neill hit a little CNI single against John Rocker. And so it was like a seven-second clip. I saw it. I said, oh, okay. Click. Done. I don't need to see anything from this series. Uh, thank God I wasn't on the fan at the time. I wouldn't have been able to do that. But uh, as a 16-year-old, I was able to do that. And that was definitely very, very painful. And Now I'm sad. After this entire podcast, now uh, the whole point of it was to go down memory lane. Now I'm like, man, I need to take a shower. I need to cleanse myself from all of this. <laughs> Great job. You ruined everyone's Saturday with your tweet, and now you ruined your Sunday night. I ruined my <laughs> Sunday night. I ruined all of your early week. I apologize. I will make it up to you, and I don't know when, because our next Rico Bronia will be focused on Edwin Diaz and Brandon Nimmo. But we will do a more positive history that podcast. I think we'll go with best wins or best playoff wins. Something to kind of bring the spirit up. But we're all depressed anyway. The Mets won 100 games and got knocked out. The Philadelphia Phillies won the NL pennant. I figured, why not pile on with more negativity? But talk amongst yourselves. And obviously leave uh, tweets at Evan Roberts WFN or comments in the podcast section on which close to the season was worst for you. Maybe it was a, a year we did not put high up on our list. Maybe for you, 2016 was the worst. Or maybe 2007 or 2008 was the worst. But either way, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that we inflicted all this damage and pain on you on this very sad edition of Rico Bronia. But what can before, I do? I'm sorry. Before we, before we, let, before we go, because yes. it's a neg- very negative. <laughs> this is a negative one. So... <laughs> I had a very negative thought today after seeing the Phillies uh, win the pennant. Yes. Phillies win the World Series this year, right? So that means we've had the Nationals, what, in 2019? Braves, 2021. Phillies, 2022. Yeah. The Marlins just said goodbye to Don Manley, who is king of when I leave a team, they win a World Series. (laughs) Marlins, 2023? How do you feel about that? Uh, God. I don't know if we should have division pride about this. We should say, hey, look, see, we are in a really good division. Look how tough the NL East is. Basically, the Houston Astros have set up the National League East Invitational 
over the last bunch <laughs> of years, though they seem to lose to these National League East teams. Uh, it sucks, man, because a part of why this whole thing sucks is I love baseball, and I would watch the World Series. And I'm going to watch the World Series. I'm not saying I'm not. But having a team I despise in it is not ideal. I prefer having a sit back, relax. I just want to be entertained. Like in 2011, when the Texas Rangers played the St. Louis Cardinals in that classic seven-game World Series, my hatred for the Cardinals wasn't as deep as it is now. I probably should have hated them back then after 2006, but they were just, you know, a National League team I respect. It is what it is. And I loved watching that World Series because I didn't have any stress. I just sat back and was like, yeah, whatever happens. Oh, Nelson Cruz can't catch a fly ball on right field. Uh, it happens. Josh Hamilton hit a game-winning home run. Oh, wait, no, he didn't. Ah, it happens. And so when it does involve a team I really, really hate, I can't sit back as a baseball fan and just relax. I have to actively root against Bryce Harper and Reese Hoskins and JT Realmuto and Kyle Schwarber, who we should assign. And Zach Wheeler, who we really should have signed. That was the lasting gift from Jeff Wilpon. Thanks, Jeff. Appreciate that. So, yeah. Boy, I, I thought you were going to say something to lighten it up. Instead, it's just more depressing now. No, I just, I just pounded. Listen, this was, this was a crappy episode. <laughs> not, and, and not, not, in a, not in a bad way. Like, we did a really, you did a really good job of bringing back some really hellish moments. But if we're going to go this route, I might as well dive in. You make me feel really crappy. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, I promise you this. We won't have any more uh, too much depressing Rico Bronias. Maybe the Jacob DeGrom farewell Rico Bronias will be depressing. But uh, no, next time, coming up in a few days, we'll post it Thursday morning. Brandon Nemo, Edwin Diaz, we'll focus on them, what they've done as Mets, how important it is to resign them, what their market would look like, and how you would replace them if you're unable to do that. We'll do that next time on Rico Bronia. Thank you very much for listening. Pete Alpin with Tiki and Tierney, 10 a.m. on the fan. Me and Craig, 2 o'clock on the fan. Goodbye, and God bless. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Rico Bronya Podcast. It's amazing, isn't it? Make sure you download it now to keep it on you at all times. <laughs>